So baptism is this opportunity that we have to go public with our faith. One of my favorite baptism stories comes from the Middle Ages, and I don't know the veracity of, of if it's a legit story or not. I kind of looked it up, and I, it's, it's like, I don't know. Uh, th- there were three different um, leaders that were uh, tied to this story, so I don't know how true it is, but it's a great story. I'm going to tell you anyway. So uh, let's act like it's true because it makes a great point. Uh, there was this army, and the, the leader decided that he was going to be baptized. Now, the story goes a couple of ways. One was that the guy was going to get baptized because uh, if he wanted to marry uh, the king's daughter, uh, the other nation's king's daughter, he, he had to be part of their church. So uh, let, let's say it was the Greek, the Greek king wanted to marry off his daughter, but the guy who was going to get married to her had to be Greek Orthodox and be baptized in the Greek Orthodox church. And so the idea was that he came and he wanted to be baptized so that he could marry this girl. And uh, I'm not sure that's a great reason to get baptized, but uh, uh, people do crazy things for love. And so uh, he was going to do that. And his soldiers came with him, and they decided they were going to be baptized as well. There was a problem, however, with the Greek Orthodox Church, and that was that soldiers, professional soldiers, couldn't be part of the church because they were, they were killers, you know, that kind of thing. And so they came up with a compromise, and the compromise was this, that the 300 men walked into the water, and they were going to be immersed in baptism. And when it was time for their immersion, they pulled out their swords from the sheath, and they held it up, and they were baptized all but their fighting arm and their sword. And so it's this picture of, I want to be totally committed to God, except for this one thing. I want to still be able to fight. And so lots of people, this story today is kind of like that. We're going to be looking in uh, 1 Samuel 15 and 2 Samuel 6. We have to do background and then we'll get to the real story. But this story is about someone who wanted to be completely devoted to God, unlike this other guy. So I'm going to introduce you to a couple of characters from the Old Testament. Saul is the king of Israel. He uh, is anointed king. The Bible talks about he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He um, was a reluctant leader, but then he became a leader, and he kind of got arrogant. Okay. Now, in that time, there was a, a prophet. His name was Samuel. So you have Saul the king, Samuel the prophet. God spoke directly to Samuel, and God would say to Samuel, I want you to tell Saul to do these things. And one of the things that God told Samuel to, sell, to, sell, to tell Saul to do was there's this group of people called the Amalekites. They were wicked, horrible people. And God says, okay, Samuel, tell Saul to go and wipe out the Amalekites, wipe them out, to wipe out their, uh, their crops, their, um, their animals. You, you don't take any plunder now, I don't know if you know, but uh, in, uh, you've heard the expression, to the victor goes to the spoils. Often in the ancient world, if you were victorious, you took bunches of stuff. And so the instruction this time was, we're going to be different. We're going to go annihilate this uh, area, this, this people, this stuff, and we're not going to take anything for ourselves. And God tells it to Samuel, and Samuel tells it to Saul, and Saul goes, and he kind of does what God wanted him to do, but not exactly. But Saul and his army spared the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything that was good. (laughs) Uh, 
God said, wipe it all out. And, and Saul was like, well, everything is good. We're going to keep. And these they, these they were unwilling to destroy. So you see the situation. God tells the prophet. The prophet tells the king. The king doesn't obey. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about what would it be like to speak truth into power? So, uh, you know, on Twitter, people are very, uh, very aggressive. And uh, if I were to talk to Joe Biden, I'd say, or if I were to talk to, uh, you know, Donald Trump, I would say, it's like, yeah, okay. In theory, this is what you would do. But when you're right in front of someone, what would you do? How do you speak truth to power? Samuel is this this amazing uh, prophet of God. And the Lord is disappointed in Saul. And really, he uses a word about himself that you hardly ever read. I regret. How many times do you read about God regretting something he'd done? Now, uh, before the flood, I mean, there, there are some times he gives people opportunities. But he says, I regret that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. And early in the morning, Samuel is going to speak truth uh, into power. And he got up and went to meet Saul. He was told, Saul is in Carmel, where he set up a monument to his own honor. And my mama would say, Saul has gotten too big for his britches. Here he is. He thinks, you know, he's, he is, when he began, he depended really on God. And now he kind of feels like he can do it himself. So you get the picture, right? Saul has been disobedient and kept back some plunder. And Samuel is going out and he meets him in a place called Carmel. All right, this is what happens. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instruction. <laughs> we, we have a word for that. Uh, uh, that's liar, liar, pants on fire. I mean, that's like, like he didn't keep the Lord's instruction. Now, this is this moment in Samuel's life where he has to decide. Look, um, ticking the king off usually wasn't really good for your health. You make a king mad, the king eliminates you. So... The king says, Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instruction. What is Samuel going to do? And Samuel says, this is like the sassiest thing. Well, then what is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? And it's this... It's this moment of, you know, you, you are busted, dude. This is horrible. And then Samuel says to him, God is really disappointed in you, and he's going to take the kingdom away from you. And Samuel turns to leave, and when he does, Saul grabs his robe and tears it. And Saul looks back, Samuel looks back, and he says, Just as you've torn my robe, God will tear the kingdom away from you. Now, Saul was a guy who sort of started out okay with God. But then he, he didn't mind God being near, but he didn't want him central. He, 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 he liked him around, kind of, but not in the middle of things. And so 
We're going to talk about something called the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to talk a lot about it next week. If you want to come back, I'll give you a whole primer on it and what it means. But we're going to talk about this, this story of, of how David decides to do something different. And Samuel said to King Saul, you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you. And, and now David is going to become king. And you all, have, if you know anything about the Bible at all, the Old Testament has major characters. Abraham, you have Moses, David. These are the big Isaiah. You have a few of these guys almost everybody knows about. So God is going to hand the kingdom. He's going to take it from Saul and give it to David. And David is a guy who wants to be really close to the Lord. He really wants to be close to the Lord. Now, Basically, what Saul has done is he's opted out. All right, let me tell you a couple of things. Um, in the Old Testament, there was a way that you connected with God. Today, uh, we, our interaction with God is different. The Holy Spirit lives within us. But in the Old Testament, when Moses started bringing the people out of Israel, God said, hey, build me what's called a tabernacle. It was a tent. It was mobile, build me a tabernacle, and then build me this Ark of the Covenant, this place where you can place the Ten Commandments, and this is the place where you're going to offer sacrifices to me in the tabernacle. When, later on in the history of Israel, they build a permanent structure called the temple, but the tabernacle is this tent. Both places had a Holy of Holies. Uh, that's where they housed this Ark of the Covenant. It's not a big box. It's about... Uh, four feet by two and a half by two and a half. Not huge, but, uh, you know, a box where they put the Ten Commandments. And, and this is sort of this memorial. Hey, uh, we're, we're memorializing God. He is, it's His presence with us. And, and remembering, it, remembering is really important. So I heard about these two old ladies, and, and they're, uh, you know, in their golden years, and they're in the car, and they're in a big old car, and, and they're the kind of ladies that can barely see over the steering wheel, you know, and they're, they're driving, and, and, and the lady in the passenger seat, well, they run a red light, and she's, she's thinking, well, you know, she's, uh, did I just see what I just thought I saw? Did we run a red light? And so she's kind of questioning her sanity all of a sudden, and next intersection, they run another red light. And she kind of shakes her head, and she's thinking, oh, my, my goodness, I don't know what's going on. And so third, third light, they, they just barrel right through. And she looks at the, the lady driving, and she says, Mildred, do you know you've run three red lights in a row? And Mildred said, oh, my goodness, am I driving? So <laughs> it's really important to remember stuff. Really important. So you have Saul. And he sort of opted out of being close to God. He, he knew he should. He was really successful when he was really close to God. He didn't push God completely out of his life. The, the ark, this thing that represented the presence of God, it was around. <laughs> it, he didn't put it in another country. It's close-ish. But he decides that he is going to just opt out. And, and sometimes we just get tired. Maybe you've been following the Lord and it's like, okay, this is exhausting to me. I'm just going to opt out. I, I wanted to show you this little video. Uh, there's a video of a, a little kid and, and this was his Monday after his first week of school. 
And I get the feeling he would like to opt out. His name is Landry. Oh. Ah. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, uh, somebody uh, commented on this and said, when you're adult, you do that in your mind, not physically. And that's kind of that's what, uh, what Saul did was he, he determined that he was going to do something other than be close to God. He could do it himself. I mean, I think he probably knew God was around. God was in the picture. I mean, it is, it's the nation of Israel. It's God's chosen people. But when you're God's chosen people, God chose you so he could lead you. And the best way I can say it is Saul just opted out. Now, if you want to be close, and, and this is David. David says, it, you've heard politicians, right? When politicians are on the campaign trail, they'll say something like, if I'm elected, one of the first things I'll do is implement blah, 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 whatever, whatever campaign promise they make. And David basically says, if I, when I become king, one of the first things I'm going to do is I'm going to get the Ark of the Covenant that represents the very presence of God, and I'm going to bring it into Jerusalem where I live so I can be really, really close to it. And this is our story today. It's the story of David getting the Ark and bringing it to Jerusalem. Now, that is a great, that's an admirable uh, idea. He, he wants to do this. He wants to be close to God. Unlike Saul, he wants to do it differently. And, and one would think that would go <laughs> without any sort of glitch. There is a glitch. We're going to see about the glitch in just a second. So how to have a fully committed life uh, to God. Uh, number one, you get as close as you can. That's what David wants to do. He wants to get as close to God as he can. So he's going to bring this in. He's sort of subscribing to the principle found in Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. When my dad retired from truck driving, he was still in his 50s. He had put a lot of years in with the Teamsters and so he got a pension and he started a muffler shop. And he really, really debated about the name, and he came up with Vest Muffler Shop. It was brilliant. I mean, it's really brilliant. It took him forever to come up with that name. And I helped him. I was 20 years old, and I worked with my dad at the Vest Muffler Shop. And, you know, first year was rough. If you've ever started a business, you know how difficult it can be. I believe, last statistic I read, 90% of businesses don't make it past the third year. It's because it's difficult to get established but dad told me that he and my mom, they prayed about the business and he said, we dedicated it, we dedicated it, we committed it to the Lord. He, he basically was claiming Proverbs 16, 3. And so they prayed about it and it, and it was successful. It's still around today. Uh, and and not, my dad isn't leading it anymore, but, but it lasted. There, there's, a, uh, there's a principle. So David is saying, okay, I want to go get the ark. So then David gathered uh, uh, all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. <laughs> I don't know that you need 30,000 people to carry the ark. You really don't. You need two people. But he's taking all these people, and he led them to bring back the ark of God. Remember, it's close. They didn't have really far to go. But I think what David is doing here is he's saying, okay, if I get 30,000 troops... 
This will be like a parade. We're going to have a parade with the ark coming into Jerusalem, and there's going to be this massive uh, uh, movement of folks, and everybody's going to gather around. They're going to see this parade, and this is going to bring glory to God. You know, it's about football season. It's almost football season. And sometimes a player will score a touchdown, and they'll kneel, and they point to heaven. And whenever I preach a good sermon, I spike my Bible. I, you know, I point to heaven. And if I ever preach a good one, uh, I'm going to try that. And, and so this was kind of that. It was David saying, okay, I, I have come to power. I've come to be the king, and I want to bring honor to God. Now, it, it is a great ambition, but you have to do, um, you have to do things the right way. So they placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from uh, Abinadab's house. I'd like to not say that. I'm going to call him Abby, uh, which was on a hill. And I don't know why that detail is in there, but I'll mention it in a second. Uzzah and Ahio, <laughs> uh, nobody's named Bill. Uh, you know, nobody's named George. Everybody has a, a tough name in the Old Testament. Uh, and Abby's, uh, were Abby's sons, and they were guiding the cart that carried the Ark of God. And Ahio walked in front of the ark. Now, God had instructed the Israelites on how to, to handle the ark. Um, it was to be covered with a cloth. It was never to be touched. It was never to be touched. Uh, certain groups of people, only the Levites, there were 12 tribes of Israel, only the Levites were, were permitted to carry the ark it wasn't to be on a cart. He put it on a cart. Well, that's more efficient. I would think carting something somewhere rather than carrying it on poles would be much more efficient. But it's not what God asked them to do. It's not how God told them to handle the ark. Now, David is oblivious. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, uh, what is that? Castanets and cymbals. I was going to say canasta, and I think that's a card game. Uh, so wasn't that. In the movies, when something bad's about to happen, the music changes. A lot of times, you know. Like in Jaws, uh, not an endorsement, but uh, like in Jaws, dun, 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 dun. And, and so you know something bad's about to happen. Well, there's no bad music here, but, but something bad's about to happen. Now, sometimes th bad things happen in your life, and you really don't have any cause. You, have no, you didn't cause it. You, you could be sitting in a stop sign, and somebody runs the, the, the stop sign and hits you. It's not your fault. It just happens. Or your company can downsize, and they can eliminate your job. You didn't really do anything to cause that, but you, you're still, you're still, it's, a bad, it's a bad consequence for you. Or you, know, you have an you have ingrown toenail. You, know, you didn't do anything. But you have this. But there are other times when we know better and we still have a bad consequence because we ignore what we know. So if you get a speeding ticket, it, it kind of is your fault. Uh, the speeding, the, 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 the sign is posted, the limit is posted. You, you know, you choose to take the risk. Well, I know it says 45, but I think 70 is safe. Uh, so you make a choice. Or you get fired from your job because you were late 17 days in a row. And in the manual it said, if you're late 17 days in a row, you're going to get fired. You know, you just choose to ignore it. So sometimes bad things happen 
even though uh, we didn't do anything. But sometimes bad things happen because we just choose to ignore it. Let's go on with our story. When they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, that's some dude named Nacon. Um, threshing floors, by the way, uh, they had wheat, they would beat it out, they would throw it in the air, and the wheat would fall and the chaff would blow away. And threshing floors are remarkably flat. They're, they're not hilly or anything. So the cart is running over a very flat surface. The ox stumbled, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark of God. There's instructions for how to handle the ark of God. You cover it. Um, only the Levites carry it. You carry it with the poles, not on a cart. And there's a warning. And everybody knows the warning. But they must not touch the sacred objects or they will die. It's as if on the ark there is a sign, do not touch. I mean, it's kind of right there. Everybody knows this. Uzzah decides to ignore what he knows to be true. Uh, he, he knew the rule. And, and I, I figured this out. The more power something has, the more care you must take with it. Let me give you two examples. The sun. The sun is awesome. It, it is, without the sun, none of us exist. It, 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 it provides uh, light and warmth. Uh, it, it is amazing. We need the sun, but it's dangerous. You look at the sun with your naked eye, and you'll go blind. It, it's 93 million miles away, and yet it is so powerful that you can't even look at it without going blind. If you go out in the sun, uh, especially in the summer, and you don't put on uh, enough clothing or enough sunscreen, it will burn you. If you get burned enough, you get skin cancer. It is, it is good, but it's dangerous. It's powerful, but it's scary. Let me give you another one. Electricity. Electricity. We, what would we do without it? it? It gives us lights. It provides air conditioning. It provides heat. It can run a car. I mean, electricity is awesome. It is a blessing from God, but it's also dangerous. Today in this room, we have a, a young man. He's a walking miracle. He, he was electrocuted with 7,200 volts of electricity. We've been praying for Chris. He's here today, first time in a long time. It's funny that this illustration was in here when you show up. Uh, I was hoping you would be here. You want to come talk? Uh, Chris is here. We're so thankful that he's back with us today. Um, so Chris, the other day, I'll just talk to you. Uh, the other day, uh, we had a, a power pole uh, fall a tree fell on my road, and, and I could see my, there's a power pole in my yard, and it, it was over my driveway. And so I went to check it out because pff, how bad could it be, right? So I'm down there walking around. I'm looking. I'm stepping over wires. I mean, I know not to do that because I'm not stupid, but I am pretty stupid because I'm over there walking around. I, I want to see where the pole broke and all that stuff. And I'm on the road, and there is a fireman 
up the road keeping people from driving on the road. And he sees me, and he was so rude. Uh, he yelled at me. Hey, what are you doing? I'm looking at the power line. You know, it's like... Uh, I'm drinking a, you know, a lemonade. I'm looking at the power line. And he's like, I think he called me stupid. Uh, he said, what, are you stupid? Get away from that. Retrace your steps and go in the house. I've not been told to go in the house since Miriam did it last week. Uh, I mean, it was really dumb because things that are extremely powerful are not to be treated lightly. All right, so, so God gives instruction. Do not touch the ark. Don't do it. There's a proper way. We live in a society where we've lost the awe of the Almighty. He is great, and He is amazing. And he is powerful, but he's dangerous. He's not to be taken lightly. He's not to be trifled with. God says things, and he means it. I mentioned my dad. Uh, let me give you one more dad story. When I'm about 19 years old, I'm still at maybe 18. I'm, I'm living at home. Uh, the practice at our house on Sundays, we went to church we came home and we had Sunday supper, and then in the fall, all my buddies would come over and we'd play football in my backyard. Every, every week we would do this. And so we had gone to church, we had just had lunch, I went into my room and got my football clothes on, which are things you know you don't mind tearing up. You could tell, I mean, they're ripped and torn, and, and so when you're playing out there, people grab you and throw you down. It's just not good stuff. And so I walked into the kitchen. My dad was still sitting at the kitchen table. And he says to me, you going to play football? And my 18-year-old mind said, no, Daddy, I'm going to a dance. Mm, 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 mm. Y'all know where this is going? And Daddy, as calm as he could, looked at me. And he said, son, you can talk to other people like that. Don't you ever talk to me like that. And I said, yes, sir, daddy. He had to remind me. He had to remind me. We got older and we got older. We became friends and everything changes. But when you're immature, you don't think. Sometimes people have to speak the truth. Uzzah touched the ark, and the Lord's anger was aroused against him, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. And it is such a horrible consequence. And there was a warning. And it's still a horrible consequence. And I, this is not one of my favorite stories, but I think it's a story we need to look at. See... Closeness to God and obedience to God go together. People want to say, well, I want to be close to God, but I still want to do what I want to do in the area of, of my money, or, or uh, my sex life is mine. You know, I want to obey God, but this is mine. Well, it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. 
And there's an old saying, he's either the Lord of all or he's not the Lord at all. And so David basically throws up his hands. They take the ark someplace else, and he just decides this is too difficult because really following the Lord, being close to the Lord, is difficult. And he says to himself, it's just too much. It's too much for me. But he can't stand it. And three months later, he's like, I got to get it. I got to get it. I just got to go get it. So then he decides to do this. By the way, closeness to God isn't always easy. So David went down and brought up the ark of God with rejoicing. Now look at what he does. When those who were carrying the ark, no mention of a cart, I would guarantee you the guys carrying the ark are Levites. He's gone back and he's gone, oh, I didn't do anything right here. When those carrying the ark of the Lord were ta- had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. And this would have taken forever. And quite frankly, that's not what God wanted him to do either. He never asked for that. He- but at least they were treating the holy with respect. And David, I think, basically is saying, look... If I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of being too respectful. I'm going to go overboard being respectful. And David adjusted, and they take six steps. And David had learned something in his life. You make the path of life known to me. Complete joy is in your presence. He knew if he would get close to God, he would find joy. Joy is this indicator of closeness. If I plant a tomato plant, my expectation is to grow tomatoes. If I plant rosebush, my expectation is roses. If I plant Christ in my life, Christ comes into my heart, my expectation should be that I'm going to have joy, not particularly comfort. Bad things happen. We live in a broken world, a fallen world. We have sadness. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Even in the midst of difficulty, I can find joy. And so joy is the indicator of closeness. David danced before the Lord with all his might, uh, wearing a priestly garment. So his royal robes come off. He wears a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. And it is this parade to end all parades. And his, the notion that he had was, I'm going to humble myself before God. So he leads the processional. And it says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. And it says about David, he was a man after God's own heart. When you read the life of David, he made so many mistakes. I mean, he committed adultery. He had this lady's uh, husband killed. He wasn't, uh, he didn't have a pristine life. His resume was flawed. But he sure wanted to be close to God. And when we get really close to God, here's something that happens you become generous. Look at what he does. He gave all the men and all the women in the crowd a small loaf of bread, some meat, and a raisin cake, and everyone went home. And we kind of go, so? If you lived in a world 
where food was scarce, where you lived hand to mouth. This is like David going into the to uh, you know uh, outback and paying everybody's bill. I, I'm going to take care of the check for everybody. And, and David saw this as an opportunity. You see, God is generous, and when we get close to God, we become like Him, and we become generous. And David, he he, he blessed everybody. At my last birthday, I got a card that said, forget the past, you can't change it. Forget the future, you can't predict it. Forget about the present, we didn't get you one. I just think that's rude. It's so rude. And that was from Miriam. Uh, So, uh, really bad. Now, what could ruin this scene? You, you You have David... And he's celebrating and he's dancing in the streets and, and he's, he's finally brought the ark home. And it had been out and now it's here. And there's this joy. And sometimes we'll send kids on, uh, to camp. and They'll go to youth camp or they'll go to kids camp and they'll come back from camp. And they're just full of the Holy Spirit. They're just full of the Lord. We, we call it a mountaintop experience. But you get home and life is different and there, there's a steadiness to it. See, you can get close to God, but that doesn't eliminate criticism. And he was criticized by his wife. Her name was Michael. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, who was also the daughter of Saul, so David replaces Saul, but he married. Uh, Saul was not only the king, but he was also his father-in-law. He came, she came out to meet him, and she said, and you have to read this in the snarkiest female wife voice that you can. I don't want any volunteers, uh, but I'm going to try to do it. Well, uh, it should say, well... How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. How am I doing? Pretty good, huh? Disrobing in the sight of the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. And Michael is basically saying, if my daddy was still in charge, he wouldn't act like this. Never mind the fact that Saul could have brought the ark back. He just chose not to. I mean, this is really critical. And criticism, you'll find, you've probably found, can come from all quarters. It could be at your home. It could be at, uh, with your friends, your coworkers, even at church. I have a pastor friend. They put those air hand dryers in, in the bathrooms it's, you know, to be more economical. So they put those in. Two weeks later, he went in. There was a sign on it that said, for an example of this week's sermon, push the button. Think about that. Uh, Really rude. That's funnier than y'all let on. It's really rude. So, criticism can come from anywhere. Now, David has a choice. He can give in to the criticism. But look, he had brought the ark so he could be close to God, which means the people could be closer to God. He didn't do anything wrong. When you're criticized, I think it's important to analyze it. 
Well, is there any truth to it? Not all. I mean, that's not all truth, but sometimes there's a little bit of truth. Maybe there's no truth. Michael was critical, and David, he just didn't take it because closeness to God is worth the effort and the cost. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me, this is kind of snarky, who chose me rather than your father or anyone in your house. <laughs> I like him. Uh, that's good. Uh, it was before the Lord who didn't choose y'all, uh, is what he's saying. Uh, he chose me rather than anyone from your house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate before the Lord. You are not going to bring me down. And then he says, I'll become even more undignified. I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. I will do this because I want to be close to the Lord. We have in this room young people who go to school and people will say to them, and maybe you when you go to work, and people will say, why do you do that? Why do you go to church? Why don't you come do this with us? Why are you like that? Why don't you say that? Why don't you do that? Why don't you watch that? Come do this with me. And you have a choice every day to say, it is unto the Lord. I live my life before God. I answer to God. Peer pressure is so difficult. It is really hard. When you're young, it just seems crazy hard. When you get older, also hard. Just difficult. I appreciate that David was willing because he knew it was worth the cost to be close to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for this, this lesson, this story that's kind of uncomfortable, but teaches us about your power and your holiness. And so we come before you right at this moment confessing that you are God, that you have a way. We are humble and make mistakes. Help us to walk as closely with you as we can in obedience. We know you'll be patient with us because you've already ex ex exhibited that to us. Thank you for your love and your kindness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.